Let's pray, and then we'll jump into our Advent sermon. Lord, Father God, we just praise you, we glorify your name. Lord, as we put ourselves in the place of those uh, people of Israel, the people who lived awaiting your first Advent, your first appearing, and Lord, as we await your second appearing, we, Lord, do so with expectancy, with hope. So Lord, would you fill us with hope, fill us with faith and trust, Lord, as we remember what it's like to wait for, for you, and Lord, we just, just long for your second coming. And Lord, we long for that time when you will make all things new and restore all creation. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> all right, it's Advent time. We're into December. The snow was flying this week. It's all melted already. But yeah, we're into December. It's a stark reminder that, hey, Christmas is coming, right? How many of you guys are done with your Christmas shopping? Oh, man, look at you responsible people. How many of you haven't started? That would be me, right? Okay, awesome. Last minute, folks. Love it. That's what I am. Okay, so Advent, the season of Christmas, is all about waiting. So we put ourselves in the place of the people of Israel who have been, had been waiting for the Messiah for their entirety of their history. The first uh, announcement of the Messiah is in Genesis 3.15. So that is very early in the Bible. That's the first few chapters. So the people of Israel have been waiting for the Messiah to come for their entire history as a people. And so Advent season is kind of all about that, is learning to, to wait patiently for God to fulfill his promises. There's a few key themes in there. One is patiently waiting. The second one is God's faithfulness, that what God has promised, God will do, that no word of God will ever be left undone. And we can trust that and we can know that because of what we've seen in the first appearing, the first advent of the Messiah. And so if you're a kid, especially this is a little bit more like uh, realized for you, waiting for Christmas is a real challenge, right? As an adult, you're kind of like, oh man, now I just got like more stuff to do. It's different. It changes. I know. But it's so exciting, and that should produce that same type of hope, that same longing. Every year, we try to just tap into that a little bit more and wait for the Messiah to come. And so this Advent season, what we're doing is going through Matthew's account of the birth narrative of Jesus. Uh, and yeah, again, so some of the content of this, this is a real challenge with Christmas season because we, don't, we always think like kids around Christmas time and Christmas is for kids. But some of the themes in here just aren't super kid-friendly, okay? So just, just parents, just so you know, some of the content will be a little bit more mature. Um, so y'all make your decisions, but you know, okay? Just want to warn you. You've been forewarned, okay? Again, yeah. Some of the difficulty with Christmas. It's for kids, but man, some of the content and some things just maybe you're not ready to explain or whatever. Okay, Uh We'll go into it. Matthew 1, starting here in verse 18. Last week, we talked about the genealogy of Jesus and how Matthew begins his gospel with the genealogy, which to us is like super boring. But in there, he deviates from a traditional genealogy in a few pretty significant ways that really communicate some of his ideas that he wants the people of Israel to hear because he's primarily writing to a Jewish audience and he's communicating their, to them their need for a redeemer. God's faithfulness, God's sovereignty in bringing about the Messiah throughout, uh, through the people of Israel, which he had promised to do to Abraham and to David. Okay, so we talked about that in verses 1 through 17 last week. This week we're jumping in and starting here in verse 
18, and it goes like this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So he ended his genealogy with Jesus, and now he's kind of explaining how that happened, how the birth of Jesus came about and how it happened. I'm not going to go into that. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So he says it explicitly uh, in the first verse of his gospel. He also says it here that Jesus is the Messiah. So remember, the people of Israel have been waiting for the Messiah for their entire history. Matthew's announcing that he's here, that here he is. This is the one. This is him. And he's writing to people to convince them that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And so he's going to quote a lot of Old Testament scripture and how Jesus has fulfilled this Old Testament scripture. But he just comes, he says it directly. Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one whom God had told that he would bring into the world from the beginning. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, this betrothal process, being pledged to be married, they had entered into like a formal covenant that would often take a year or more before they would actually be married. But in this time of betrothal, they hadn't been officially married yet, but it was kind of like an official contract where Joseph would still have some obligations to fulfill to the family. And in this time, it's important for us to note right now that chastity would be expected. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now we know the story. We're super familiar with the story. But put yourself in the place of Joseph here, right? Put yourself in that place for a second. You're betrothed. You are engaged. And your fiancé is found to be pregnant, right? That's one telltale sign, right, that she has not upheld her end of the bargain. (laughs) Chastity was not... Uh, part of their betrothal experience. Now, Matthew, he gives us some, uh, he gives us the inner workings, the details here, that it was through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph didn't know that, right? Give the guy a break, like, cut him some slack, right? That's, he doesn't know this at this point. And there's no real way that he could know this. So the virgin birth, which every year we have to talk about uh, when we come to Christmas, because it's an important theology, an important part of Christmas. For a lot of us, it seems kind of odd, and it's kind of hard to talk about. It seems a little strange, but it's an important theology to maintain. Uh, One, because the Bible teaches it, and it's pretty explicitly, clearly taught in the Gospels here. But two, it's also important to uphold Jesus' divine nature, that Jesus was fully God and fully man, Uh, Two natures unmingled in one person is the historical statement on the nature of Jesus. And it's important for us to maintain Jesus' sinless nature. Okay, so Jesus was born without original sin, uh, unlike all of us who were born with original sin. And he's the only one, apart from Adam, who has had this privileged status and this privileged uh, ability to be born without sinful nature. So, just a couple of theological elements that it's important for us to uphold the virgin birth. And even though it seems a little odd for us to talk about, and like an unnecessary miracle to input into the Christmas story, or just like a, a fanciful piece of antiquity. Now, it's really important for the theology of Jesus and who he is, and of course, because the Bible teaches it. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay. So Joseph's plan was just to 
Just end the contract, end the agreement quietly. So here, Matthew gives us uh, a glimpse into Joseph's thinking. And what we see in this is, what we're going to see is a model of discipleship. And we see Joseph has these, this, these competing ideas in his head here. He's deciding what to do in a pretty difficult, tense relational situation. Okay. So he's thinking, to put it plainly, that Mary cheated on him right, while they were betrothed. And now he has to decide, what am I going to do about this? What do I do now? My fiancé has not been faithful. What do I do? In Joseph, it says he was faithful to the law. So, under the law of Moses, he could have had her severely punished if he brought this to the proper religious authorities. He could have even possibly had her stoned for unfaithfulness, but that was rarely, if ever, even practiced in, in the Jewish community for unfaithfulness. He could have, though, if he was strictly adhering to the letter of the law. But we also see this other side of it, that he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So Joseph cares for her. He loves her. <laughs> he has compassion for her. Joseph, here, in this very difficult, tense, relational situation, which we've experienced these. This is like real, real life, right? He is working, he's doing his best to balance compassion with conviction, which I think is a really good way to say it. He's balancing compassion and conviction. That's from, I got that title from uh, Justin Gibney in the And Campaign. They wrote a book called uh, uh, Compassion and Conviction. He's talking there about how we are to engage with the public square and in politics. It's a book that I haven't read yet, but I love the title because it speaks, it's on my reading list, right? It speaks so well to the tension that we all experience when we're in a situation, uh, a difficult moral dilemma, where yeah, I have my com convictions. Like, Joseph's faithful to the law, so he wants to uphold the righteous standards of the law. We're, we read in Scripture, we know what Scripture says, and we want to uphold that, but we also have compassion for the person who's caught in this sin. Ah, what do we do? It creates big gray areas, a lot of tension, and a lot of difficult decisions. And that's where Joseph is sitting right now, is in the gray of this decision. What do I do? Maintaining his conviction that he should be faithful and uphold the law, the righteous, holy standards of the law, and compassion. Compassion for his betrothed. This is a key aspect to discipleship that we'll unpack a little bit later. <clears throat> Verse 20, but after he had considered this, so as he's thinking this and he's come to his decision, he's going to divorce her quietly and not expose her to public disgrace. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Don't you wish that this would happen more to you in your, <laughs> in your difficult, tense decisions, right? Like, God, just tell me what to do. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Again, Matthew emphasizes that Joseph is in the line of David so that Jesus can be the promised Messiah who will reign on the throne of David forever. We talked about that last week. Do not be afraid. Okay, so angels often say do not be afraid, but here he's saying don't be afraid to obey my word, to do what I'm about to tell you. Don't be afraid. Fear is often uh, a hindrance, a strong hindrance for us when it comes to obeying the will of God. 
Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly what Joseph was afraid about. Perhaps it was facing the public scrutiny of those who do know, and in small communities, uh, word spreads fast, right? So the word would probably get out that Mary was pregnant before their official, they officially came together and lived together. Perhaps he was afraid of excusing her sin and being viewed as soft on upholding the righteous standards of the law. Perhaps he was afraid of her being unfaithful to him again. We don't know. We don't know what Joseph was afraid of, but fear was a part of why he was hesitant or what, was, what would prevent him from obeying the word of the angel here. So he says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Then he tells Joseph that what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle that she hasn't been unfaithful. And so now the situation becomes clear. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We're going to talk about this on Christmas Eve. I really wanted to, really wanted to hone in on this today, but I'm going to save it for Christmas Eve. Uh, the name Jesus, it means God saves or God delivers. It's incredibly important in, throughout the Old Testament when God changes somebody's name or when God gives somebody a name. Names are vitally important in this culture because it often speaks to a part of their character, who they are. So like when God gives his personal name to Moses, Yahweh, it means I am that I am. It refers to part of God's nature and who he is, that he is eternally existent, that he is the one who has existed before all things, and he will always be. He is the Alpha and the Omega, as Revelation describes. So it refers to his nature. Jacob, his name is changed to Israel. And Israel means wrestles or struggles with God. And this is after Jacob wrestled with this mysterious uh, figure who's likely the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. He wrestles with him all night. <laughs> and, and then he, the, uh, he like lodges his hip, and so he walks with a limp. And then he changes his name to Israel. And then the people of Israel, all of his descendants, bear that name wrestles with God, the people of Israel, forevermore, even today. So it's super important when God says who, what somebody's name is going to be. And Jesus here implies what he is going to do, his mission, which his self-stated mission is to seek and save the lost, that he didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is here to save people from their sins. Talk about that more. See, I can't help myself. I just, I wasn't supposed to talk about that, but I just went on a rant. Okay. All right. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Key theme in Matthew's gospel is the fulfillment of prophecy and how time and time again, because remember, these are, he's writing to people who are steeped in the Old Testament, who know the Old Testament prophecies so well about the Messiah, and he's writing to them to reveal and prove that Jesus is indeed the Messiah because he has fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. Conservative estimates place it at like 250 prophecies of the Old Testament that came true in the person of Jesus. Also things like where he was going to be born, where he was going to live. These things that like, he can't control. Right, so when, when you look at that, it just should remind us of God's sovereignty in bringing about the Messiah and his plan in history. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So again, we're going to talk about this on Christmas. The names of Jesus here uh, from Isaiah 7, 14 is not only, not only does the angel say his name is going to be Jesus, God saves, God delivers, but also they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, it's important to uphold the virgin birth for this purpose, that Jesus is fully God who came to dwell with us, as John's gospel tells us. We find this theme of God dwelling with his people throughout all of Scripture. And in the devotional, I'll go through all of this. But just a couple of highlights from the life of Jesus. Jesus promises at the Great Commission that he will be with us to the end of the age. And now we as believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. I mean, think about that for a moment. The, the presence of God, when you read in the Old Testament, the presence of God is resigned to the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant in the temple or in the tabernacle. And the high priest would only go in there once a year to be in the presence of God. Now we as Christians all have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That's a crazy mystery and something that we take for granted so often that God dwells with us, and in us. The end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 22, it ends with the presence of God filling all creation, with God making his dwelling place here with humanity. So now what we experience in part of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we will experience in full when the presence of God comes and restores and makes all of creation new. So one theme to read through all of Scripture is the presence of God with us. And Jesus proves it here, and he gives us this visual example of it. He is literally God in flesh dwelling with us, and he will have the name Emmanuel. Which Emmanuel is also my favorite Christmas carol. Right now, I think I kind of go back and forth year after year. You're like, yeah, I think you said a different one last year. This is my favorite one this year, which is Emmanuel. Anybody else on that, Emmanuel? Oh, man, I'm all alone, maybe, okay. If you're north of 30 and you say little drummer boy, we need to talk, all right? And also, if, you, if it's anything from Mariah Carey, like a Mariah Carey version, we need to talk as well. I, I think this is true. This might be fake news. I don't know. You can look it up on your own, but I think she like, petitioned to be called the Queen of Christmas. I read a news article on that. Good for her. Go, Mariah. If you get the title Queen of Christmas, I'm proud of you. <laughs> All right. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Band, you guys can come and, and get set up. Are you all in here? Seth, would you mind going to get John? Thanks, man. They've left me hanging before. It's not, it's not cool. Sometimes I just got to... Tim, you got it? Bass. Bass is here. Yes. <laughs> do you want do you need a mic? Okay, cool. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So... <laughs> So here we see, and this, this is the theme we're going to track, is Joseph is a model of discipleship. He did what the angel commanded him. So we see, in spite of his fears and uncertainty in the moment, that he obeys, and he does what the angel of the Lord told him. He took Mary home as his wife, 
And then we see even a further aspect of Joseph's integrity here, that he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Out of, we don't know why, but I just reverence, awe for what God was doing here. He didn't consummate the marriage until after she gave birth to a son. And then he obeys as well by naming him Jesus. And as we learn from Luke and his account, and the account of Zechariah and his son, John, usually the firstborn son would be named after his father or after somebody in his line. So Joseph is even here deviating from tradition and even having the humility to lay down his privilege to name his own son after him. So we see in Joseph here just high-quality character and a model of discipleship, which is our big idea for today. Like Joseph, disciples must practice obedience and balance compassion with conviction. When I come back up, we'll kind of tease those out a little bit more. But let's pray. Lord, God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this story of, Lord, how you have brought Jesus into the world. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, that what you promised you will do, and we can trust that. Thank you that, Jesus, you have saved us from our sins. Thank you that you are God with us. And Lord, we thank you for the model of discipleship and what it looks like to be a follower of yours that we see through Joseph and we see through so many in Scripture. Pray that you would inspire us, your people, Lord, to, to worship you more, to love you more, and Lord, to obey and follow your way. Trusting that in you, Lord, in your way, is the fullness of life. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing some worship songs together. If you need prayer, there will be prayer available in the back. Just head back there. Lord, it is our heart's desire to worship you. We long for you, Lord, to be in your presence, to know you more. And Jesus, it is our heart's desire to follow you, to be truly your disciples who pattern our life and way of thinking after you. And Lord, trust that in your way is the fullness of life. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments here. <clears throat> if you remember from our text today, our big idea is that like Joseph, uh, disciples. Joseph, again, is pictured as a model of discipleship and what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. It's often a question that I get when we talk about discipleship because it's not a word that we use very often is, what is it? How do we describe it? How do we think about it? Uh, it really just means like committing to follow Jesus. Being a disciple of his means that you follow his teaching and you follow his way of living and you just pattern your life after him. And Joseph is pictured here as a model of discipleship. So, Throughout the Gospels especially, we see lots of these, just pictures through stories of what it looks like to be a disciple. And Joseph is one of them. So we see here two key themes. Disciples practice obedience and balance compassion and conviction. First, disciples practice obedience. Joseph, remember, he obeyed the words of the angel, and he took Mary home to be his wife, even though that came at great risk to himself. What if? You know, she really did cheat on him. What about the public shame? What about all of that? Discipleship, in discipleship, obedience is vitally important. Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It's kind of on the nose, right? Pretty simple. <laughs> Ultimately, Jesus' command is to love God and love 
people. Love one another as I have loved you, he says. That's kind of the root, the heart of it that summarizes all of Jesus' commands. As Scott McKnight called it, that is the Jesus creed. If we're looking for a creed of what it means to follow Jesus, love God, love people. It's at the heart of it. It's at the root of it. What does that look like in practice? It can be quite challenging from time to time. And when we talk about obeying God, we talk about it in a number of different senses, and it gets kind of fuzzy and difficult to unpack. There's the specific calling of what God has called me to do, 